All right, all right. Hello, everyone. Part two, because technical difficulties. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Pseudo Millennial. <laughs> I am so excited to be here, as I am with all my guests today. For episode four, I am interviewing Georgia Crisell, the homie, the television, Shonda Rhimes 3.0, you feel me? She's coming with everything. Introduce yourself to the people, Georgia. Yeah, um, Georgia Pitzel, anything on the screen, you know, writing, directing, producing, costumes, I, I do all the things. Um, I also just want to say, like, I feel like we're having a Beyonce moment, this being the fourth episode, like... Come on, four? I just feel like we're tapping into something there. And so a fellow I, Virgo, yeah. a fellow Texan. Yeah, You're picking up some undertones there, right. I love that for you. Oh, let's talk about, yeah, let's, before we mention this, y'all, Black American from Texas, born in Tennessee, let's just start with that. I, I think that is a great place to start, and so, fun fact, I didn't call Georgia cousin in this intro, but I'm still explaining to y'all why I call her cousin, because we found out that our families are from the same town in Mississippi. Now, if you are aware of the Great Migration and moving patterns, Black people have been all over this country. And whereas Georgia's parents and family went Mississippi, Chicago, and then branched off and kept going, and then back and forth, y'all still got people there too, because your summer stories in Chicago are hilarious. My people went Mississippi, Chicago, and then just kind of stayed in the area, and Georgia and I, in uh, not high school, college, found each other. And lo and behold, Indianola, Mississippi was the connecting factor. And we've been cousins ever since. And I will never forget, shout out E-Money, when I told her that my people was from Indianola. She said, I don't know. Nobody else knows where that is. And it's just been family ever since. So I am very excited to be interviewing my cousin on this episode today. But to start, I want to go before college, before we met. Tell me the first piece of television you fell in love with. And how old were you? I feel like there were definitely some before that I can't consciously remember. But, like, I remember my mom used to let me stay up till 9 o'clock, you know, when Mm. the shows went off. Because that's for Housewives. (sighs) came off, Grey's Anatomy came off, okay, like, I was invested in my mom, and her mom, just, like, I've watched the soaps forever, like, still calls my auntie every day to talk about their stories being on, they literally sat on the phone with each other when Days of Our Lives went off, the very last episode, like, drama is just, we've had a love affair for a very long time, I probably say it. That was like when I was like five. So I've been watching Grey's Anatomy since and Grey's Anatomy. ABC, just yeah. ABC in the two thousands, like she, yeah. Oh wow. ABC was that girl with the drama. Oh wow. What was that? Did you understand? Were you asking your mom what was going on, or were you just hooked? You just <laughs> loved what was. You said, "I don't know what this is." A little bit of both. Like, I think she let me watch it partially because I would have no idea what was going on, so I couldn't really ask her no questions about nothing. Like, 
I was just sitting here. You just had you to know, be quiet. Pretty small. I was like, that's what, like my mom was really, really young. She wasn't that young, but she was 19 when she had me. That's young. Um, and my dad was <laughs> in the army. And so he was gone. So it was just me and her. Mm. She was moving around. She moved from Chicago to um, Kentucky with my dad. That's where he was first stationed. So she had been in Chicago her whole life. I never left the house except to go to New Orleans once for, up, for an upward bound trip. No. Period. She was that girl. So it was just like me and her all day. Mm. And she was watching her stories. So I was watching her stories. Oh. Like, that is so beautiful. Okay, so then if that was the first, what is the latest piece of television that has just caught you? And <laughs> the white kids got me, okay? Georgia. They passed into something in the days when I was watching the <laughs> reboot of 90210, okay? I can't stand when it. They, when they had to go to rehab, when Raj was dying from cancer, that, that part of my history has been tapped into with this damn Outer Banks show. I'm actually pre-screening it okay. for Kanye, so the audience, my sister. Um, she's like, I don't want to waste my time watching it. It's just not good, but I know you'll tell me if it's good or not. Mm-hmm. So I'm screening it for her. I can't tell you if it's good or not. I can't tell you that I sat down to watch episode one. And I did not get up for episode four. Those shows, good is arbitrary. Like, good is subjective. But if you catch my attention, you have something. Because let's talk about trash media. Um, I have no idea where you were in Gobelet. No, I absolutely love it. Let's go. People don't. Buckle up, y'all. This is how Georgia and I. Y'all are really about to hear a set of cousins chit-chatting over a dinner table. So, buckle Wait, up. I just, Get ready. The trash people media. People have underestimated how much trash media made them who they are today. Mm. How much what is considered trash gave you the identity that you have, okay? Mm. I was Such not as? inspired. To, just in general, I was not inspired to maybe just do things in the television and film world, but just to do things by your hoity-toity ass media like i was not the first thing i was watching my dad on my peggy's lap remembering you know stuff was not 2001 a space odyssey period it wasn't it i remember getting drumline from santa claus yes. one year and being like i must join the marching band period i have to and guess what i did join that marching band. band that marching band i feel like i'm sneak cannon on the drum and that influenced so much of my life today, like my entirety of my college, my, my college, my high school years. I was mm-hmm. in that damn band, like still writing stories about marching band and you know the whole Texas football scene to this day. I can't remember anything that's considered like classic film mm-hmm. ever being a part of any of those things that matter. Yeah, I think it's really interesting and ties back to my first question um that yeah you you aren't really taking a lot of inspiration from this high art because it's it's not really supposed to be inspirational and it's supposed to be quote-unquote aspirational and I'm not aspiring to none of that because first of all a lot of it is outside of the realm of reality 
not even just mm-hmm. by virtue of being media, but by virtue of I don't live like that. Right. right. But then even the shows and media that I consume that are of people that don't live like me, as you said, nor you or I have got down like them kids on 90210 and yet sucked in, you know, or my favorite is um, my most recent kind of like high school drama. Mm -hmm. I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's a dance. It's like has something to do. It's basically about ballet and this dance school in Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tiny, pretty thing. Maybe I think it might be tiny, pretty things or little, pretty things. Yes. And the main character is a black girl. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just, and she's from Compton, I think, and comes to Chicago. It is so good. But yeah, I'm not really trying to be like whoever you could fill in that name of what we should be watching, quote unquote. But then also, with that being said, you mentioned a little bit, when did you start writing those stories? You know, where you drumline, I'm going to join this marching band, I'm going to write the next drumline. Where did that come from? Oh, goodness. Like... I don't know, I think I was always just, like, crafty and sort of artsy because my grandma was my diva. But what did she do? Forever just calling her grandma. I just was so weird. What didn't she do? Like, that lady crosses. She used to draw. She used to paint. She used to close. Like, has crocheted every blanket and pillow you can think of. Mm-hmm. Like, she just always had her hands on something, doing something creative. Every year she would come down for Christmas, we would make pine cones, mm. we would paint them and put them with sparkles and make them look like all reindeer. Like, she was just the most craftiest person I ever met. I actually, I can just remember just like consciously sitting down and writing thoughts with to her. I would write her letters. Um, <laughs> so we, my first real piece of just, you know, entertainment with books. Mm, yep. I had a real love hate relationship with books. The racism that popped out. There's something that I had no control over. It like wasn't even because I wasn't good at school. I could not see. I have I wear glasses. I didn't know that I couldn't see. <laughs> it never occurred to me that my husband is like it never occurs to children that they're doing something wrong. wrong. If that's the only, you quite literally know no yes. other way to be. I thought everybody's eyes work like that. Mm-hmm. So I never told anybody I didn't know what I was doing. And in, re- in reality, I needed some help. And wasn't nobody trying to help me. Um, so I had a real long journey with books. And once I finally got into them, you say you wrong, doll. <laughs> Had a grip on my childhood. Changer. Shell Silverstein. Grip on me. Roald He used to scare me. Like, but I loved it. I ate it up. I was like, he was out here like. I don't even know if I'm going to watch Witches. I haven't seen it. I've been scared too. It's Okay. If you read that book. When you were below, if you were between the ages of 7 and 11, when you read Witches by Roald Dahl, I don't think you would see that movie in your good, even in your good grown age, because <sighs> that shit was stressful. <laughs> Turning kids into rats and shit. Oh! Like, we can really clear red in a peach, but I don't know what that means. It's nothing, but thank you. I want the strain. <laughs> Drop this. Grip on us, okay? The BFG? Absolutely. And he gonna have BFG money for the rest of the time. Period. 
but yeah, like he just had a rib on me. I was like, oh, like James isn't that spectacular, like, but here he is, you know, flying around in a, in a giant magic piece. Like, okay, this is finally something that I'm interested in. Like, I did not like reading. He just kept giving me books I didn't want to read. And that'll do it. And <laughs> you gotta think about other people when you're trying to introduce me to it. Because some stuff is just not interesting to me. I really don't want to watch white people fall in love ever again. Like, I got my face, and that's that. I don't want to see it no more. I don't think they're bad movies. I don't like movies. I just don't want bad ones. Like, they are just. You get there are just plenty and plenty. But with your first love being media, or what? Your first love being media. I'm so <laughs> sorry, y'all. With your first love being books and then transitioning into, you know, a space where you could love and appreciate them and always being creative. When did you start to think, all right, this is what I want to do? Writing and making that kind of media, film and television is where I'm headed. It's incredible that some people are going to tell you, like, I just knew my whole life, this is it. Wow. I was not like that. I could tell you the literal day that it happened. When was that? Um, and it was my freshman year of high school. And this is the part of my life where I've learned a lot from teachers that I did not necessarily care for. Mm. And people, like, I didn't like none of them. But some of those classes, I would not be the same without them. My freshman year English teacher, horrible at her job. Oh, my God. She was so bad at her job. And not because she was necessarily a bad person, but she was an English teacher who didn't want to be an English teacher. She wanted to be a digital media teacher. And that just led to a bunch of wacky hygiene that didn't have a damn thing to do with what we were supposed to be learning. One of those things happened to be NaNoWriMo, which is National Writing Month, which is in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what people, like, they have writings, like, stand-up, fundraisers, all that. So you can complete an entire novel, approximately 36,000 words in a month. And then you just kind of <laughs> pump it out. Michelle was in love with this idea. So for the entire month of November my freshman year of high school, we did not do anything in that class but write a novel. Wow. And I sounded like a terrible idea to everybody. And I was like, this is my time to shine. Finally, you were getting into something that I care about. <laughs> you can really feel the era that I was in and like just the environment of growing up at that time because my first book was about a bunch of kids <laughs> got kidnapped and locked in like the sort of basement to be trained to be assassins and they had to work together to escape you know the whole found family and, you know in the sci-fi landscape very hunger games you know divergent you were raised obsessed. in the 2010s and, <laughs> you grew up in the 2010s y'all don't know about the 2010s <laughs> in no way we were accosted we were accosted okay we should get better at A medal of freaking honor. <laughs> they look for trash. 
but I ate them up. Oh my yeah. god! Like the ugly duckling stories of the 20s made me okay. Made me. So you wrote your first novel, and then what? <laughs> and then thank Jesus, April, which is National Poetry Month. Guess what we did? Wrote write poems. <laughs> we had an open mic and like part of it was like voluntary like we would we would go to the coffee shop and read poetry after school oh. <laughs> I don't know if I could as a <laughs> high school student girl but after I was oh my goodness literally I was going to house girl. I was literally a house favorite okay I love that I know I need the TVs and stuff, but I was in my poetry bag, okay? So, yeah, every every week I was like, Michelle, new poem, let me get on that stage. And I was already so used to it, because literally every week I was playing and music and performing in front of thousands of people. Like, I was in the scene, so I'm like, sitting in this little coffee shop, like, let's go. So that's when I started writing poetry. Technically, technically, y'all, I am a published author and also illustrator. Oh, in the third man. grade, <laughs> a picture I drew um, ended up in the newspaper. So I was, a pub- I was a published artist in the third grade. And then I won this small poetry contest. Well, not contest. It was in an anthology series. And so my work was published in the anthology series. It's somewhere in my house. Love that. Where I don't know, but yeah, I was like, okay, I'm kind of getting into it. And then, like, junior year came, and <laughs> junior year is just a terrible year. It does not matter, high school or college, that year runs you over yeah. like a Mack truck. Yeah. Being my senior, my junior year, with being when Corona started, like, yeah. Just, mm, I was like, I. <laughs> The amount of pressure we put on ourselves, I was like, I have to be making money when I get out of college. Like, I need to do something for money. I've always liked science. I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> like, straight like that. I was going to be an OB. Like, I was ready. I was like, I'm going to work in the NICU and be a neonatal surgeon. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of school. <laughs> I was not very good at math. I was just talking about this today. When I decided that I wanted to, you know, go to med school and be a doctor, my mom's friend had a cousin who was a doctor who was an OB. Did exactly what I wanted to do. And she looked me dead in my eyes. She was like, if there's something you even think about, a fraction as much as being a doctor, do that instead. <laughs> and I got to college and I was like, is there anything that sounds even close to a son as making TV for the rest of my life? And the answer was no. And that's just how you ended up writing your life away in Tish. Yeah. <laughs> that was a process in any which itself. And there's been a few moments in my life where I was like, Whoever is up at the stars, please send me a sign that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and they delivered. 
Mm. I can't tell you who's out there who did it, but I asked and my questions were answered. Mm. Well, were you were mm-hmm. you asking those questions once you got to Tish? Because you transferred into Tish, yeah? Yes. Yeah, that was one of the questions. So I can remember there was just like three points I can remember directly that these led to the starting outcome of being where I am right now. Which is like I was a sophomore high school. I was like, I really want to write. And like, how do I do it? Do I have pen and paper? Like, I don't even know if this is something I should be wasting my time on. I was there with my psychology teacher. One day we're going to talk about the way that English, humanities teachers in general held it down, okay? In high school, if the you didn't go eat lunch with at least one humanities teacher, we're not the same. They deserve awards, okay? They deserve some of these stimulus checks because they really had their kids. Because mm-hmm. I would really bother that woman every single day. Mm-hmm. I would sit in her classroom, not going nowhere, eat lunch with nobody else. We sent her classroom, and we were talking about it, and the intercom came off. And it was like, um, new announcement, your computers have all been paid off, and we're allowing students to take them home for the summer. And I was like... So if you're not supposed to be writing, why do you have this computer now? Why do I have this computer? I was like, okay. Kind of gave up on it. Film school applications are hard, okay? Period. You have to have a portfolio. And we can go into, like, how a poly, a portfolio in itself is a privilege to have. Oh, we'll get to it. We have a, we'll get, we to, will get to it. the structures of art school. And but it's hard. School. It is really hard to make a quality portfolio. Because mm-hmm. you just need so many things. Um, and I just was not equipped when I was doing my college applications to have a portfolio ready. <laughs> I did, it was not going to happen, so I didn't even apply to any of my colleges um, in film and TV, except for one. Mm. The only school I applied to film and television was NYU. And they said, no, you may not come to film and TV. However, you may come to liberal studies. And I was like, Dave, that's good enough for me? A yes is a yes, me. Okay. And that's the exact opposite of what they tell you to do when you come across. Don't think you're going to go to one school and just try to worm your way back. It's not going to work. And it did work. Flyers. So I get there, freshman year in liberal studies. So I'm like, okay, let me go talk to my advisor because I genuinely think, like, I want to go into film and TV. How do I get this? I forget to do And I said to him, that white woman's best, Ricky. And she said, it's a good thing you came to me on this day because this application is due next week. Wow. Tomorrow. She's like, do you have a portfolio? I said, no, I don't. Well, you better get one. Mm. And maybe this will be good because if you can't make the portfolio, maybe you don't need to be there. And I I got to gotten. I had to write most of the portfolio in one night because that next day, that Friday, was the last day that um, the cross school advisor would be there to look at my portfolio. Mm. I go in there, I email this woman, she having a baby. Before <laughs> <laughs> you her email, she said, um, whatever you need, I can't give it to you right now. I got a baby. Store, girl. Bye. Don't blame her. But that was it. My portfolio 
was going to have no eyes but my own. It's just me, hope and prayer. I have no idea if this is good or not. I just wrote it across my fingers. I had like two stories that I was like going to write. And one, it was just not it. But you did it. I was just uninterested in that story, but I remembered being in that freshman level studies class and being in environmental studies class, be like, this is so interesting. And then one night, I wrote my last, like, my actual piece of media that was going to be dead, a short story about two kids in Katrina, because that's how I did my environmental studies project on. No one has seen this application button. It took, like, five months. And I got that. You're welcome. You can come to Tish. You can, you can join us same now. Time, I was also trying to go to Paris because we went to the same class, but at different times. Yes. We wanted, we actually got to sit and talk about that, like, mm-hmm. and death, but going to Paris. And they recommend strongly, almost like you have to spend that first summer before your official first semester in Kish doing some of those prerequisite classes that people miss out on. Mm. But if I did that, that meant I couldn't go to Paris. Right. So I was just so nervous. It really ended up working out because I got to do both. On a, shout out to the 1831 uh, fund. Period. They, they will hand they, dollars. They will hand you some money. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> if no they one tells you anything money. about college, yes, it is a scam. Yes, it is da 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 But you still going to mm-hmm. end up there, especially if you are a black person or person of color because, listen, that's just mm-hmm. how we built, okay? That's just that's mm-hmm. just the path that, that we be put on sometimes. So, getting past the fact that it's a scam, once you in here, you have to scam right. the scammer. You have to know where to go to get the things done that you need done. I did not pay for my trip to Paris. I refused to. I said, in the same way that you said you had these moments, I was in a... It's funny, because talked about Malcolm Emery in the last episode, but I was I was in a relationship that was akin to the volatility of that movie, right? At this time. And I apply I wanted to apply to go to Paris the summer before, but my academics just weren't where they needed to be and they still weren't. Stop. But because let's talk about how we were meant to be friends because that means we would have went at the same time. Okay? Okay? We just needed a little time. We just needed a little time. It was like not right now. Well, in a minute. So, I um, my, my academics weren't where they needed to be. I was in this situation. I was, this was my sophomore year, but you're right. Junior year kicks, kicks your ass. But sophomore year was just doing a lot. It was beating me up. And I applied to Paris on a hope and a prayer. And I said, listen, if I get in, I'm, I'm going, if I get in, I'm not, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm not paying for nothing, but I'm, I'm going, mm-hmm. I got accepted. And I said, all right, that's it. That's, we got to get to work. I started emailing deans, talking to people in my department, all kinds of stuff. And just everyone kept telling me, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I, I'm not trying to hear that. I don't know. And the last day, and I ha- and someone had um, at the in the program was like, okay, you can let us know. You got accepted, but like you'll get waitlisted if you don't pay by a certain day, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It was the last day you could join the trip, period. I get an email from MCC, my program, saying not only is the class paid for, but the flight is being paid for. And I said, 
And there it is, Lord. Yes, Thank you so much for like Maisha. She needs stimmies. Give her stimmies. Give Maisha Priest. My queen can't answer her emails. Don't, don't check them email. ever in life. And that's okay. That's okay. I'll never forget sending her an email to be in one of her classes. Like, what classes are you going to have next semester? Her not emailing me back, but like a month later, telling somebody who's in my parents' class that I was friends with to tell me that she had seen my email. <laughs> yeah. She said, I won't be responding, but I saw. <laughs> I saw. I want you to know. I saw you, you know. Wow, what a lady, what a class, what an environment. Yeah, NYU, and this is where I wanted to talk in the second segment kind of about the pressures of, okay, you got in, but we know that's where the battle starts. <laughs> that's where you really have to fight and scratch and claw, especially as Black people and Black women in the world, but in academia and now arts. So what was that like? What was your, so you get accepted, mm-hmm. you go to Paris, you have this great time, and now it starts, it begins. And what was that like? That first semester was something because I felt so behind. I was like, everybody's been here for an entire year. Having all these conversations, not just having all these conversations and just obtaining knowledge about all these relationships. They formed all these relationships, all these pods, been in classes together, and I'm the new girl. So everybody already ganged up and out of their squad, and that's going to be that. So sophomore year, my first year, I had no friends in that class. I had no friends. I had this theory, like, just made, I see you in class, I see you friends. It did. The most, the class I have, one of the classes I've hated most in my entire life was the one class that I had the most black people I've ever had in the class at once. Mm. Was that It was like, whoever, again, was up there was like, I know there's going to be some bullshit, so I'm going to put y'all all together. So at least you can have each other. There was four black kids in that class, including myself, and two other black girls. We every day sat next to each other. Period. Unfriendly. Because, duh. And it would just, like, it would just take time off. Like, let me know the bullshit that happened in class, but I won't be there. What I'm class not was coming. This? Could not blame anybody. Like, wow, that professor was ass <laughs> in every way. But yeah, just like. What class was it, girl? It was my documentary class. And that's why I did not take documentary for a really long time. Mm. Just because I, it's really like, it can be really gross to do. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if you're making things about people for people, for the betterment of people, but you kind of got to treat the people that you're working with like trash to do it. That's like exhausting. It comes home from every day. Like, I feel bad. But like, I have to ask questions. And say things and do things I don't really want to do. Yeah. I, I took a class later in open arts that was on impact producing as a result mm. of that. And our, our professor is a documentarian and an impact producer. And he talked about how the, the inception of impact producing is basically ethics. And basically right. to make sure that documentary doesn't, as it often can, slide into this really uncomfortable... Um place. Y'all to know um, 
I feel so hungry. The last week of the week before, uh, that's going to sound relevant to people listening because it's not going to come up for a long time, but whatever episode it was where they were talking about being journalists versus being bloggers. What episode? <laughs> oh, the read. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. When they were talking about Tom, but. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's a, ethics, a big one. Yeah, what's the difference between this and this? Some of them areas formal training. Very important. Because some of y'all don't know ethics when it comes to working with cash, you know, equipment, like. Or is it that they don't know it or they don't have to employ it? Because we've had a lot of conversations about, especially your time in Tish, the demographics of people you're around. Like you said, the most, the class you had the most black people in was four of y'all, you know? So what was that? I don't want to keep asking you what that was like, but I guess <laughs> then I would want to say, how did you cope with being in that space? And especially artistically, you know, what, what was driving you? What were you working on? You've had a lot of really cool opportunities as well, working with Dee Samaro. And uh, were you Samantha B or Samantha Maddow? Yeah. Yeah. Samantha, Samantha B. B. Okay. Like you've had mm-hmm. a lot of these really interesting and just then dynamic and colorful experiences con- to contrast this mm-hmm. harsh, hypercritical space. Cause we've talked about that as well, right? How they want mm-hmm. you here for the diversity credit, but then mm-hmm. once they see your work and the topics you're addressing, they want no parts of it and they take their hands right. off of it. So what were you doing and what are you, do you do to quote, cope quote unquote through this writing endeavor that you still love and are amazing at? Come on. Um, yeah, when I was first stepping into this, I was so scared. Because if you make things, like, no matter what stage of making you're at, you're going to do something that gets you a certain place where you're like, am I ever going to make something this good again? That is why we have sophomore films. Like, I was like, this is it. I had one thing I need, and I need to wrap that into the wheels fall off. My first TV pilot was an adaptation of that uh, first short story we were talking about. So I was just so scared that I was just never going to be able to make something good again. Mm-hmm. And part of that was like, white people get so scared sometimes of saying the wrong things that they don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. People are so scared of saying something racist about my story that they would just say nothing. Just crickets. Um, and there's a lot of y'all in these spaces who are ready to sell everyone like you up the river just for a smidgen of respect, which you don't have. Like, girls who think they're not like other girls, we hate y'all. <laughs> we don't like you. It's probably because you're unsavory. In the nicest of ways I can say it, there are so many girls in Tish and in art school like, the boys are making all the money, so I'm going to go hang out with them. Mm. And you lose out on so many amazing opportunities at Sisterhood. Like, when I was in London, um, I, like, did not know anybody. There was one girl who had been in a class with me before, and we hadn't really talked, but I knew she was going to be there. And that was it. And I had my friend from before I got to London. So I was like, 
am I going to make friends? Like, am I going to meet people? And I ended up being placed in a group because of class with primarily women and women of color. And we had one white man in class. He was the only white man. Shout out to Will. Love him. Um, and so it was me. And we had two other women of color. And we had another woman um, with Brazilian ancestry. And we got along so well. Like, that is one of, not one of, that was the best collaborative experience I've, I've ever had. Like, we were really giving to each other and caring about each other and nurturing those artistic relationships. And that's how you do it with people that you're not scared to try something new with. Yeah. And when they have your bags, they believe in your writing. You can really experiment with them. It is so hard to experiment with people because you feel like they're going to say they hate it because they really like it, or they're going to try to steal it, mm. or they're going to talk about it with somebody else. <laughs> it's so backstabby. So you have to have people that you really trust. Um, and that's what we made in that class. <laughs> Mine is on Do Not Disturb. That's my mother calling me in the middle of the day as if I don't have things to do. <laughs> so she's home. They love doing that. <laughs> And then when you don't answer, well, baby, what were you doing? Girl, a job, and a class. Or you going to have me scared. Because if you call me in the middle of the day, I'm going to see something wrong with you. Oh, uh, no. My mother will call me because the sun came up a minute later than it usually would. <laughs> so I know that she's okay. The only time I really get concerned, and this is a side word, quite frankly, about, okay, why is my mom calling me is... If I haven't talked to her in a minute, because, you know, we'll go a couple days without talking just because that's the type of person I like. I need space. And if we've gone a couple days without talking and then she calls me like three, two, three, four a.m. And she's back in Chicago. So it's an hour difference. So I'll quite frankly even be up. And my family is a family full of night owls. But because of that, if you're calling me at two, three in the morning, what's going on? Why? Why aren't you right. just up right now? Like, why are you up and calling me? <laughs> but back to the matter at hand. And I'm so happy that you brought up experimentation because that's where I wanted to go next. And, you know, the working title mm-hmm. of this episode, and we'll see if I keep it, is are you a Lena, an Ava, or an Issa? Right? Because these <laughs> are the, the three. And you know what? That's important because I know a lot of both. Okay. There, we, there, these are the three kind of columns or lanes that are really being set up for mm-hmm. black women directors. Can't forget the Shonda. That's the OG, okay? Okay, Shonda is the OG. I guess when I think of... Ooh, actually, the, the the reception of Shonda and the questioning of Shonda has been something that's, at least I've noticed, bubbling to the forefront. And I think mm-hmm. that's been really... It's been interesting. It's timely. It's timely, mm-hmm. considering... Uh, I remember seeing some tweets of people saying, you know, it's time that we question Auntie Shonda, especially after Bridgerton, um, oh, about like, I've had thoughts. Let's talk about I it. I mean, I never, I haven't seen Bridgerton, so I would love to hear you talk about why you think that show has even captured people the way that it has. There's something like people find really fun like, about regal time and shit like that. Because it's, like, escapism, but, like, it's, like, it happens, so then they can 
kind of put their foot more into it and feel related to it more. But, like, a lot of y'all are Jane Austen hoes. You know, y'all watched that 2005, Kieran Knightley, Pride and Prejudice, and you never let it go. Kira loves a period piece. What about... And she does them well. But what about Bridgerton? And I've heard things where it's like, oh, it's more diverse. And it... I I, I don't know what's so... For context, I literally have never watched the show. I don't plan on it. Not even because of the hype, but because that's just not something I'm interested in. So what is... That's a very interesting time period. Yeah, and also like... I, I know you can blind cast, but baby, no one that was looking like me were running around doing the things that you were doing. So I just. No, and like. I, I like the way that. Other than one time, they really don't talk about race in the show. Mm. Which, and it's not like in a we're ignoring way, they're just like these characters are black way. Mm. And they start to everything, so that doesn't really bother me. And I, I like that. I, I know a friend of mine mentioned um, that they're the only single mom was a black woman, or I, it was something of that nature where she didn't say that they acknowledged it. But it was something about why are the black women that are in the show being the ones that are going through these things. She still said that she was going to watch with that, which again, I think is interesting. There have been so many people. I know who you're talking about. There have been so many people. She's interesting. She's interesting. It's Marina, I think they were talking about. Mm -hmm. She's a black girl in the show who comes to say we're one of the white families, like a call her distant cousin. Um, She's not. But they have her thing in there so that she can be a part of court with the white girl and hopefully find a suitor. She's pregnant. And I feel like the black girl being pregnant, but it's also because when she gets there, she doesn't want to be in court because she already has a man. So she's like in love with, but then it becomes a plot. And it's, yeah, that one was funny. I thought, I'm not above it, and so many other people are too. A lot of people watch that show because they find the dude a painting fine as hell. I am one of those people. Mm-hmm. If you cast attractive people, you're gonna get a people lot gonna of go eyes. see it. Like you could think of so many movies that you or someone you know went to watch something or play something because they thought somebody in it was fine. So you don't think it has much to do with the quality of Bridgerton? I'm hearing a lot of aesthetics. I'm hearing a lot of it was cute. I think that too. I also like a. I think a big draw for a lot of people is that they remix a lot of pop songs mm. and different like orchestral versions of them. So, like one of the best ones is "Hey, should get on my fucking nerves." But Wildest Dreams is good, and then they do an orchestral version of it, mm. and it's good. Also, yes, the aesthetic, but it's it's like one of the first like shows that not like. HBO be letting people be naked on there. Mm-hmm. Netflix, not so much. They'll be highly set. But it's a lot of skin in Bridgerton, too, mm. for a Netflix show. That's what I heard as well. I saw all that many booty shoots. <laughs> <laughs> and they were nice ones, too. 
okay. Oh my goodness. Oh, so I think that I think it's just a lot of things that are interesting, but it's like it's accessible. So even if you're not like super into the time period, that is still fun. Okay. So just all the people who want to watch that type of content in that era, thoughts like it's fun. Also, like a lot of tropes that we know, like part of it is like a fake dating. Mm. <laughs> like fan fiction where this couple got a fake day for one reason or another so it just has a lot of those elements and I think it's just easy to watch mm. I think people sometimes struggle with things that are either too easy or too hard to watch they can never be one another but then at the same time when you have something that toes the line that's sometimes too much as well, considering, depending on who you're considering your demographic and things. So coming off the back of Bridgerton, right, and kind of segueing into mostly what we talk about on air and off, but Black film and Black culture, right? Mm -hmm. And we've gotten in this space, I feel, where it's no more trauma porn, no more trauma porn, no more trauma porn, which is absolutely correct you know like I don't want to see 12 years of slave I was just telling a professor how during a black lives matter lesson in post-colonial visual culture a class I had here at college she began to play clips from Django and from 12 years of slave to talk about the history of black people as if that was the only history of black people and that in itself to me is infuriating You know what? No, I'm thinking about Leonardo DiCaprio. Right, I said Brad. I ain't, I, I was gonna let you rock, but I'm glad you caught it. Um, please, please. Uh, who? Brad Pitt, or did he just produce it? I think I he just produced it. Show. Yeah, he just produced it. Um, girl, let me finish my question, please, and thank you. So. And what I was saying about <laughs> what I was saying about black film and culture. Where do we toe the line? How do you feel as a black creative and a black woman when you see and you know you haven't seen it, so we won't go into too much detail, but you've seen the the conversations around it. But like a Malcolm and Marie or like a Judas and the Black Messiah, which hasn't been released but is coming out. And the advent that. of films I'm- we're starting to see. Do you feel as though black people want harder movies to watch because they're not necessarily about slavery or the bad stuff, but real inter-black life, inner black life? Or is it that people want something easier to watch? And this is the, the positive way that we as black people view ourselves, and that's the only way y'all are allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. And is that I a black think- creator's job to think if something is easier or harder? For their audience i mean there's really like there's not no point in listening to the audience but like don't listen to the audience that's how some of these shows became horrible because you let these things tell you what to do and you know what you wanted to do you create things with the vision stick to that vision whether that is hard or not not really of the or taken as hard because you could not intend it to be hard and be taken as hard. I think it also comes down to 
can you give a little quote for my fellow NYU alum, Martin Scorsese? Come on. The individual is universal. Mm. I don't think it's really a question of necessary just trauma, but does this trauma feel unique to this person? Are we looking at trauma as a result of this person's life and how they inhabit it or just, just universally traumatic? Because not fun if we're just watching black people get beat up on screen for two hours. Because that really has nothing to do with anything. With that person in particular. Mm-hmm. You're just so <laughs> a bunch of just violence. That's nothing really to do with storytelling at all. And then comes in a conversation we had before about like the desire for grit. Now, again, you can be greedy and have trauma that is that character's trauma and not necessarily just drawing up on universal trauma in the black community. Because mm. we all have been through some shit exactly. that can most certainly be labeled as trauma, trauma. but it's traumatic. It's my trauma. Mm-hmm. It I is. think that's a big one. Yeah, no, I think that's... I think that's a brilliant way of putting it just because, shout out, I mean, shout out Martin, but what you were saying about, yeah, this is my personal trauma, and I think it's so interesting as black, like, we keep, interesting is the buzzword, if you, if you've heard interesting, take a shot, but I think it's so, it just captures the moment, it It captures the moment really well, but then at the same time, it's it is just a hard line to tell, and I think of the names right. that we've listed or that I was working through in the title: Ava, Lena, Issa, and now to include Shonda, right? How yeah. each I feel of like these women even talk about those other three. Yeah, how do we begin without to... talking about Shonda? Because you know, being a seventh grade girl who wanted black girl who wanted to work in TV, oh, you want to be Shonda Rhimes. Mm-hmm. That's it. You wanted to be Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Can we just talk about like how the TV landscape? Like, really, we can so talk about rap music right now. Um, and just like the whole Nicki versus all the new girls thing, wow. it just handled it was handled very differently. Like that was basically yeah. what it was. Like, Issa, you know, everybody coming up, yeah, was very much the same. Mm. So some, you know, someone took it better than someone else. Sean handled it saying, that was my lane before y'all was here. And we don't even do the same thing. Mm. So it really wasn't a problem because none of them do the same thing. Yeah. They don't even do TV. And I think, that, well, I, it's not so much a compare. I, I, like you said, the, those women themselves don't compare each other. But by virtue of them being black women in the mm-hmm. same industry, doing things publicly very well. Right. On such large scales, right? Yes, I think it was yesterday that Issa, it's not going to matter when we release this episode, but Rap Shit, her show with the City Girls, is coming out. That is not something mm-hmm. that would have been possible decades ago, right? Or even mm-hmm. in the way that Ava has moved since, when was her debut? 2014? Yeah, 2013, 2014. My brain said 2013. So in there, 2013, 2014. And in the seven, six, seven years since, almost eight, maneuvered to, I'm not going to say seamlessly, but carved her own lane in the mm-hmm. film industry and in the feature film industry. Um, 
And then Lena has dipped her toe in film. <laughs> That's what I call Queen of Slim. <laughs> she went right back to TV, I believe. But even before that, right? Let's even if we have like selective memory, her work on Master of None. Phenom- the, the Thanksgiving yeah, episode. I, do, yeah, but I still have to see the Thanksgiving. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to, but just know, know. that it is. I just is... feel dirty just jumping into one episode of TV. It feels so wild to me. Well, yeah, it, you don't have to. It, it feels and weird to go watch Master of None now. Yeah, now that what we know about Aziz is. Whew, whew. But in the time of watching it when it was on. And when before it, it, the time before, which is weird to think about, because it was really the time during we did, just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Lena, when given the leeway, would write these amazing episodes, and would in the Thanksgiving episode to summarize is basically just her coming home and like her story of coming out and letting her family know it's weird, and it's so good, and it. It still just goes to show, like, the the power that she has. Like, the shy revolutionized so TV, so right? The shy, and then the I shy just brought in Tab, Tab to Brown, off the internet. And just this way that Black people and Black artists pull these things from the world around them. Mm-hmm. But it takes so long to get to a space where you're allowed to do that. Because even with Shonda, right? And like you were saying, if you were of, of a Black girl of a certain age, it was you want to be Shonda Rhimes. Shonda started, mm-hmm. people don't even know she wrote Princess Diaries 2. Princess Diaries 2. She so did. People, and, and is that not childhood? Is that not univer- black girls, white girls, women of color, uh, Latina girls, Asian girls, like everyone Everybody loved that loves that movie. And it had Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews and was produced by Whitney Houston and is this iconic piece of pop culture mm-hmm. that people don't even know a black woman not just had her hands in but said here you go mm-hmm. you're welcome you know and you're absolutely right it can't start without Shonda and that's not just about Shonda or just being about black women that has so much to do with TV and mm. film right there because mm. the writer is knocking at them nobody mm. cares it's not even a Shonda Dines thing so many other famous ass you know, TV people wrote some shit that you have no idea about because nobody cares about a writer in film. Mm. And I did one time. <laughs> if you want the recognition and you want the queen and film, don't be a writer. So then why be a writer? Some people just love it. And it's, some people don't care about the recognition because it's when the recognition falls, so does the heat. Yeah. And if that shit is bad, a lot of people just blame the director and the writer got nothing to do with that. Some people like it that way. And some people just also just want the check. Because so many people have just written, like, scripts for shit that we don't even know about. And they just do it to collect the check and go home. And some people want to be the face that girl, like, you know then, and it works sometimes it's sometimes it's a tool like if insecure then I also start Issa Rae it could be a very different show yeah and it may not even have made it to season 5 and would we know who Issa was and would we know its origin would we care yep 
Because if she was somebody just writing on herself, if you can tell me who the head writer or the showrunner of the show is, I'll be impressed. But you can actually tell me the niggas in the room, you're impressed because nobody cares who's in the room writing. And it really is like that forever. And people I never know or never care. Mm. <laughs> so why and do you write? Some really you like, keep saying some people, Georgia. You. Why do you write? Why do you then, as a creative black girl who have wanted to do this all oh, your I thought, life? I didn't know that was a question specifically for you. I said you. <laughs> right. I asked, you know, why write in general? And you said some people just love it. Cool, you know? You, and you're absolutely correct. Some people do have all these varied reasons, but why do you, Georgia, Chriselle, especially at a time when it's hard? Even the names we're naming, four. Four black women. And you can trace the lineage to different ones and offshoots, and, offshoot, and we haven't even talked about D. Rees or Casey Lynn. Like, we haven't and captured the whole breadth of work, but we are talking about the four that let's just say anyone off the street, you could name one of those names and they might say, oh, okay. Or you can name a body of work that these people have produced and they'll be familiar with. Everybody knows Grey's Anatomy, even if they don't know Shonda. Mm. Right. So why do you then as a black girl continue to write and create and experiment, and as you were saying, create these spaces of care and nurture in the film industry, when it's so hard, what's the point? Why do you do it? Girl, I don't know. If there's anything else that would kill me with even as close as much fulfillment and passion, I would probably do it, because it's hard, it's not fun. But nothing brings me absolutely good like that. I have a list for when, you know, we come to the end time. TV's there. TV is how I know how to talk to people. Even when my peers were fighting and shit was going on, we're going to sit down for this hour and we're going to watch this show. Mm. When, you know, my mama window cracked in. It's 11 o'clock. I mean, I'm going to wrestle coming on. It is. It is. It's like, I could do this until the day I die and I would be completely happy. Mm. And what's the shit you would... As far as negative, if you never got the job, what would you still do? If I never got a job, I would still watch TV. If I never get this job, I'm never going to stop being that girl who used to sit in her bathroom with the lights off in a business story. Mm. And when you feel like that, Charlie... What is there to do about that? Yeah, you have to move in it. That sounds a lot like purpose. You know, we just lost soul. I can't get into purpose. <laughs> in passing right now. Come so, think about that damn movie. Soul. We don't go off the rails to the existential of life. Oh <laughs> we don't goodness. have time for that. I mean, I, girl, how you going to tell me what we got time for on my show? We've been talking about all types of stuff. Me and Abby T were talking about manifestation and and setting goals for yourself and then doing the work to get there, okay? Because faith without works is dead. I mean, we don't have to go there. But I do think that you can't – we've talked about this before. The only people who can truly hate and critique our artwork are people who don't make it. 
The only people who can vitrally say, I hate this and this is not good and have negative, mm-hmm. nasty things today have never produced and given something of themselves never. to the world. Never. But to do that, you have to be built different. <laughs> Everybody can't do it. Everybody can't do it. And you can see no offense. What I heard about saying that to like, everybody don't got the skin for it. It's not easy. At all, especially when you just getting started. Like, nigga, it's my third day. Oh, oh if you feel like this is ass. <laughs> if you want to break somebody, make them sit with themselves and give them nothing but imagination and creativity and have to translate their mind onto the page and hope that you like it. Yep. And what does it mean for you to like something? That is an entire lifetime worth of experiences and unconsciousness that led you to like or not like somebody. And I just have to hope that it is. And I just have to hope it taps into something that you'll resonate with. <laughs> it's not easy at all. Oh my god, what's this at on Twitter? I follow this guy on Twitter, Kyle. He works at and that's the cool thing about working in some of you, like you can do so many things, but you can literally be a lawyer for like Netflix or some shit. But anyway, he's like, I really refrain from like hating a piece of work and like truly like disliking everything about it because I know so much love when it's Because yep. it's not just me who wrote it. There's people who gotta go dress. 300 extras. Yep. People who got to run and get the costumes for somebody who's been up all night working on this. Like, it is truly a labor of love and collaborativeness. I don't know what the word I was looking for there was, but... Collaboration. <laughs> teamwork truly makes the dream work when you come into some TV because you can't... You can't do it without it. You can't do it without it and then to just... Again, give this part of yourself to the world in whatever capacity you do, and someone just instantly rip it apart, and someone just instantly tear it down and say, "Nope, try again, girl. Mm-hmm. That one it." And sometimes it's necessary, right? Like sometimes there are it people is. who need to be told no, and that was a conversation we could have had about arts as well, where a lot of y'all didn't hear no. A lot of y'all were being told you're a genius when, and, and, when that's not the also case. also not, did you hear no? Some of y'all heard no and said, fuck it. I'm just fucked. That and is well. It's a line. Because you have to be so set in the vision that you have and know what you want to do to say, this is not what I want. I appreciate your no, but I can't take this one. Because mm-hmm. if you just take every no, everybody gets you. What did you even make? Yeah. Well, I get that, that, but I'm even thinking of the people where it's, you know, when you think of the stereotypical film bros, who told you, 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 you're professors. They did. They did. That's the thing. Also, like, white men don't need validation from teachers. Period. They got validation from other white men. And when that whose opinion matters most to you. The fuck is your black ass going to tell me? And you ain't even got to be black. You ain't even got to be black. If you no. Like, why are you you telling me? And the thing is, they're right. There's a lot of white men movies that I absolutely hate, but they knew their audience. Mm -hmm. They knew exactly they wrote this for. Mm. And it resonated. 
Because people they run for like it. The people they run for love it. Eat and it you up. can say this. This is why you can say. But white people know their audiences. I, I mean, think if your best, audience is the quote unquote main audience, then. Right, but it's like I think the best listen to audiences are reality shows. Because mm. they're going to give you what you want. If you want to see bitches smack each other in the face every week, they're going to do it. <laughs> they know. Like, you want to talk about a black woman in film and TV? Miss Mona? Mona Scott Young. <laughs> Mona Scott Revolution. Mona Scott Young Revolution. She knows what you need to And even when you fight it. it and you say, we don't want to see it, the, then why is it still on? Uh. And if it should have made like four franchises, <laughs> never have to work a day. And in you her know life. what? She can suck you in because we was remember there was that reality show about the real thing. I was in that. I didn't even watch that <laughs> one, but I'll give the when I was 13, 14, I, I think for two or two or three months, me and my best friend would binge watch Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, but because. <sighs> It would be like through the iPad, so we would be on FaceTime, and she would be watching it, so we could watch it together. Like you were saying earlier about E Money and your aunt, like that was where we, that was our show. That was, <laughs> that was our show. Okay, Jersey Show. Hey May. Hey, like that is iconic. I remember watching that live, like. Oh, I would have screamed. But like, that's the thing. You have all these moments and these compilations of memories and life experiences that make you like something and enjoy it. And especially as black people, it it comes from all over and it depends on where you're from, right? Like we, you started this episode mm-hmm. talking about how you're a black American from Texas. I think about my friends in film. Like Valerie, who is Haitian American, and I think about uh, just a bunch of different people, and all of us bringing our unique perspectives within the Black experience to film and television and this art that we make, and that feels like another added layer because of the position we know that Black people are in, where it's like, okay, we're not a monolith, but I know you're gonna take the work that I do and apply it to all the niggas anyway because that's yeah. what y'all do. And it sometimes feels like a weird line to toe, but then as you said, white people don't do that. White male, white men don't. You can read his script because he's letting you. Not because <laughs> he thinks you'll have anything of value to add to the production. And this isn't even just to put it all on them, but I think they're products of the film industry. If you <laughs> want to get it done, like you said, you have to be committed to this vision. And so it's so interesting watching more and more, not, not even interesting, take a shot y'all. It is so, <laughs> actually, a phenomenal is the better word because you're starting to see black people and black women take risks and say, you know what? I'm going to make it anyway. Thank you so much. Excellent and unique about television. When you think about prominent figures in television, behind the scenes, you don't think of men. Ooh. When you're thinking of, like, TV and, like, men, like black men who are really names we just throwing out. You don't think of them. Mm, Kenya Bears. But that's just because I need the people to know and that's that, the, that man. And you, that's the one thing you can think about. But honestly, you have to be like really of a certain demographic. Mm. 
Because I'm not hearing those young people be like. I feel like it's Kenya Bears every time they gag for blackish and grownish and mixedish, but who would be watching those shows? They're still on Georgia. They're still blackish. I know blackish. Yes, blackish, grownish, mixedish. Thirty-five up. My feet. You tell me. I got my shit together because I don't know a single nigga who wants mixedish. I mean, I I'm not gonna go there, but it's as it's on. It was. It was it in production. I think, uh, because white people feel like they're getting the inside pass. Like, they love it. They feel like they're getting the secret life. <laughs> now, I, I, like, I don't know nothing about nothing because I ain't never seen an episode of that show. But you're right. I mean, I, as someone who's not as thoroughly entrenched in film as you are, um, yeah, when I think of film and the people that come to mind, they are women, predominantly women. Even when I think of the actresses and stuff that draw me. Like when I think of Grace, no, you not and think of I, I got you. Story. What I mean, film got you. TV though. Hmm. So it's a more democratized space, definitely. It's also like we honestly never be taken for a man, but we don't give men enough credit for like teen films because they didn't have their foot in that. I mean, have. but then that starts a conversation of who was allowed where to do what, you know? I mean, true. That so is that, absolutely true. So I mean, they, you're right because they did. John Hughes ate. John Hughes. He, wa- he walked, crawled, and ran before y'all ever, ever were a thought in your mother's mind. So I'll give him that. But then again, That's how amazing. John Hughes? Like I, I went to school in the town that John Hughes lived in. The medium income was minimum six hundred thousand dollars. And that was love. Oh, definitely know somebody from there. And it's, for sure. And and he was able to make these films. And even the films he was making, right? Ferris Bueller. You took your daddy's Porsche to the city. <laughs> you know? As we start to look at them. But you're right. Absolutely had their foot on our necks in these certain genres. And it's so... It, it's exciting to watch the film industry, TV and film. And, you know, these little short... We haven't even talked about short film and short form media that comes up in an Instagram TV moment or that comes up in, I remember watching like Will Imes, I don't know French, but he's like this black French content creator back in the day, 2015, 2016, he used to make all these short films and I'd watch Mm -hmm. them on Facebook. If y'all know what I'm talking about, it's Will a-I-M-E-S. He's dark-skinned. He's from Paris. I I loved it. I don't. I love it. Yo, I'll show you his stuff later. But I mean, that was even just internet, like, we're just going to make a short skit with our friends, you know? Right. Ugh, kids, that was... And we era. Really, like, the niggas are just getting jobs. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, yeah. And just starting like, to really get roles. Like, the niggas really came up on the internet. Donald Glover. I even think of, like, a King Batch. Mm-hmm. And every, you can say what you will about that man, but he's getting credit. King Batch is and in a, a. Here's a difference between the YouTube girls mm. and the Snapchat and other girls. Other people are not doing what YouTube did, has done. YouTube, because in YouTube, you, had, you have effectively were creating it yourself. 
you are creating your channel. Like, not to say you aren't on a Snapchat or a Vine or nothing like that, but if you want to work in the algorithms that YouTube has, Mm -hmm. you have to do certain things, and you have to start to cultivate that understanding of, like you were saying, audience. You have to understand, Mm -hmm. okay, here's what I want to do juxtaposed with what I know the people are going to watch. How do I blend the two? And you either do it well and great, or you don't, and that's still fine because mm-hmm. you learn and you get better, or sometimes you even don't get better. But you still now have these skills that you can transfer directly mm-hmm. to a Netflix special or mm-hmm. to a, a HBO show and things of that nature. So it's, and it's def- also YouTube's more. Oh, oh no! Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. Absolutely. YouTube's also more long form, mm-hmm. so a lot of the niggas who are on YouTube have more formal training. Yeah. Because sustaining content for 20, 30 minutes is way different than one minute, mm-hmm. 15 seconds. And that's how you get to, like, it's always funny in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's secure. Like, a lot of these shows started when they did a formal training with no money. <laughs> it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I've yeah. never watched, but I read the article from the woman that started the show with them, and that just broke my heart. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. Never watched It's Always Sunny. Yes, I've never watched it, but basically, it was one of. I don't want to attribute it to she was just dating him, but one of the original actresses was dating someone who was on the writing team, and it was originally like the four guys and her, and she was like equal partner. Everyone was working along, working together, mm-hmm. getting along, and then her and old boy broke up. And she Mm. asked him, you know, is this going to affect my ability to be in the show and work with y'all? And it's like, no, no, of course not. And then by the time it got picked up and steamrolled into an actual thing, she was out of the picture. And she had to be no more than 23, 24 at the time. And that, if anything, is kind of like what a harrowing tell of what you were saying about, okay, the boys are getting more money, so I'm going to go hang out with them because... Mm-hmm. The first on the chopping. Also, block. how important relationships are. Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to be romantic. Somebody could really not like you, and that's it. No matter how time time, and your bag is gone forever, forever. The internet is so easy to end your own career now, it, and it's crazy. It really is. And I want to tell you, you can just laugh off. Georgia, we are not going down this road. You have. I feel like so many of y'all are really talented messing up your own bag for some internet shit. I mean, that's a whole other episode. That is a whole other conversation. (laughs) But in closing, I guess my last question for you, Georgia, is what are you hopeful for in the film and TV industry? For yourself, first and foremost, but then also the landscape. Man, I've got a lot of shit that I want to do. And I really wanted to one day be able to move past a certain expectation for artists. Like, once you do something good, like, that's it. We don't need you to try nothing else. Mm, yeah. Stop. You made one good romantic comedy, romantic comedy for the rest of the year. For the rest of your career. You made one good action, action for the rest of the for the rest of your career, yeah. I really don't want people to stretch their wings. I hope we just get out that box because if you walk with me any minute, I could be like, 
No, I got a drama today, but tomorrow I can have you a sci-fi one. Nah, I, I got a comedy today, but next week I can have a TV fan for you. Yeah. And I just want to be able to explore all of those things, and I want more southern people and southern landscapes on TV and film. Mm. Not necessarily to move divorce. Not none of that else. Not the big city girl who just happens to be from somewhere she ashamed of. I want more southern people on the screen in the south. Please put the south on TV. Please stop just filming everything in Atlanta. Like, wait, what? Stop doing some big cities. Let real niggas have a moment, okay? You know how many people think I'm from Houston? Mm-hmm. And I from the boonies. <laughs> Let us have some shine. Let someone who live live in the forest shine for a minute. That's mm-hmm. what I want. No more big cities. Mm-hmm. That's for me. I, I, so what are you hopeful for so for the industry? industry? For the industry? Man, I just want... And this is one of the only times I will ever take the mom lesson in life. I just want more women to see the in general. Like, truly. I do a project that I can't talk about, but I just want so many more women mm. in this landscape because I know so many cool ones. Yeah. I know so many cool ones who are making cool shit that I want y'all to see. So, please, let me see it. Mm. And, that, and let's see it. And I feel like we have a lot more of that coming. I know we have a lot more of that coming, even just between you and I and the the peers mm-hmm. we have and the women we know and the stories that are inevitably going to be told by Hooker Crook. And, and I'm so excited. Last one. Please start hiring kids from my generation. If y'all are not careful, we're going to lose an entire generation of artists from COVID. Yeah. Who just could not make shit. Mm. Not because they don't want to. They just had no resources left. Mm. Yeah. It's such a big gap between class of 2020 and class of 2021. Or what will be between class of 2020 and class of 2022. Because I just saw someone from class of 2020 who is showing their film at South by Southwest. And you weren't able nobody to. in my class even made an intermediate, yeah. let alone a thesis. Yeah. Like, please don't lose an entire generation. I don't think we will. I definitely don't think we will, especially as our generation begins to come into um, more and come into our own and and find way and find a way out of no way, because that's what we do. Right. Right. That's what we've had to do as kids of the Internet. And I I know it's going to happen. But Georgia, thank you so much for being on Pseudo Millennial today. I am so excited that everyone will get to hear you and your brilliant thoughts. And then before we go, where can they find you? Where they can find me? I'm gonna, in a second, I'm gonna finally make this official work Instagram for all of my art because people keep asking me, like you mean like, I don't have one. But for the meantime, in the please time, if you wanna follow me, and it's my regular Insta is George, at Georgia underscore Crystal. Mm-hmm. Chris then L. It's very simple. Um, that's it. I'm just on Instagram. 
And I'm not on Twitter no more. And I just popped in for nothing. Yeah, I haven't been on Twitter since January 2020. I'm, I'm going to take to appreciate my friend and the fact that I was a fan of the show before I was a friend of the host. Oh. So, you could tell you, I could probably have the message from the first time that I, I messaged you on Twitter and I was like, I love your show. Oh my goodness. Let's talk about it. Because I really wanted to be your friend. Oh my goodness. No, we're not going to go now. too cool to be my friend. And now we're cousins. Because I was like, I wanted to be my friend. She's so cool. Oh my gosh. You're really in the in crowd. Oh my. We're not doing this, Georgia. We're not doing this. (laughs) The girls know you, okay? The girls know you. I don't nobody know nothing. They know you and your group of Listen, I'm, I am but a perception. I am an, ima- an amalgamation of visions. Now, that's what's really scary. Like, people can perceive me. But thank y'all so much for listening. And make sure you tune into the next episode.